Well, I, I don't actually know where he is, if he's in the room or maybe he's outside. I actually heard he was sick and not feeling well, and maybe he's not even in the building anymore. But if you're in, where is he? Second row. A very special happy birthday to Pastor Drake this morning. He kept it so quiet, the staff didn't even get my birthday card or anything, so I thought I should at least mention it. Are you feeling better, young man? Old man? It's old age creeping up on you, that's what it is. So today I want to talk for a short time about the power of personal responsibility, taking personal responsibility for your own life and for your own stuff. So let's say together the power of personal responsibility. Say it. Learning to thrive instead of just survive. So when we, it's possible to survive in life and never actually take responsibility for your life. It is possible to survive, but it's not possible to thrive, to flourish, to blossom, to bear fruit, to realize your full God-given potential, to live the life that you are actually put on this earth to live, unless we first take personal responsibility of our life. And you know, cultures um, change over time, but they tend to they don't really tend to do very much new. They tend to kind of go in cycles and repeat themselves. And there are cycles when, when um, life is tough and times are hard and then good people have to rise up and they take responsibility and they begin to change their life and they begin to change their culture and the culture begins to improve and it not only improves for the people who took the personal responsibility, but as the culture improves, it improves for everybody and there's peace instead of violence and there's prosperity instead of poverty and there's health instead of disease or whatever the situation is and people have taken personal responsibility for their culture or their town or or their village, or their community, and as a result, it improves for everybody. And then once it improves, the next generation who are born are born into this new and improved culture. They don't know how tough it was before, and they don't realize how much work the previous generation did to raise the culture. They've come in at this level, and what can all often happen is when you come into a culture where there is an abundance of opportunities, you take them for granted. And um, you can say, yes, well, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. If I was to come and offer you a bottle of water right now, you, might, you, you could say, Yes or no? Maybe you're thirsty, maybe you're not. It's an option to you. But if you'd been crawling along the desert for five days, and I came and offered you a bottle of water, you would rip it out of my hands and drink it before you had even had a chance to say thank you, or I had even had a chance to finish the sentence, because desperation would have driven you to do something to change your situation. But if you're sitting there and you're not really that thirsty or not, and an opportunity for water is there, you can take it or leave it. It's not that desperate a thing. And then, if you become thirsty in half an hour's time, and there are no longer any bottles of water being offered to you, 
you can take on an attitude of entitlement and say, well, where's my bottle of water? They've all got bottles of water. Yeah, they took them when the opportunity was there and they asked for them. And you said, no, well, I want it now. And so if we are born into an easy culture, we, tend, we can tend to drift through life without taking responsibility for our life, even though there is an abundance of options, maybe before, if we were born into a struggling environment, there may only have been one or two options. And we were lucky to have them, but now you've got one or two hundred options. And nah, I'm going to let them all pass. I'm not going to do very much with my life. And then if my life doesn't go the way I want it to go, I'm going to blame other people because I'm entitled to a good life. And then what happens is then cultures begin to deteriorate again until they struggle and some people rise up and take responsibility to improve their life, to improve their family's lives and eventually improves the community. And the whole cycle repeats itself over and over again. And not only does that happen with cultures, but that can happen with an individual life. There can be times in your life where you are in pain, where you are struggling, where the pain that you feel is unbearable enough that you finally stand up and say, enough is enough. I am taking personal responsibility of my life and I am going to change this situation for the better. Then there's other times where things are not bad enough to bother you really, you can cope, you can survive, and even though there's options to change, you don't, and then you can, when things don't go good, you can take on a bad attitude to other people. Do you see that the big difference is this? Some people want to be happy inside by changing their outside circumstance. If everything on the outside of my life was right, if everybody treated me correctly, if the circumstances were all the way I would like them to be, and if the weather was how I would like it to be, if everything on the outside was just right, I would be happy inside. Then there are other people who realize that happiness is an inside job. You have to choose, first of all, I am going to live a happy and fulfilling and meaningful life and I'm going to make the decision to do that. And as I do that, I begin to change my life. And as I begin to change my life, eventually the outside circumstances change too. It is all, life is all a matter of whether we take personal responsibility for it or not. I remember once hearing a speaker tell the story that he was um, at, in India, someplace in India, uh, speaking at a conference. And um, while he was there, he, uh, there was a, this beggar that was sitting outside the hotel every day with the begging cup just begging. And so he thought maybe this man has had bad circumstances, maybe he's unwell and he can't work or whatever, and he had, he had given the man money on a few days. But this day, he, the, the man had answered him a couple of times and he realized the man could speak English. So he decided to engage with him and said to him, how come you ended up a beggar? You know, like, did something bad happen in your life? Did you lose your job or lose your home or your wife died or something? And the man said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, no, in my religion, we believe that you're reincarnated over and over and over and over again. So I've just decided to set this one out, he said. <laughs> I have just decided to set this one out, <laughs> right? There are many people who don't believe in reincarnation, but it looks like they have decided to set their one and only chance at life 
out. And it's only when we learn to take personal responsibility for our life that we actually discover the life that God created us for. You see, many, even many Christians and many people of faith don't take personal responsibility for their life because very often they want God to take personal responsibility for their life. I just want to kind of sit this one out and whatever God wants to bring into my life, he will bring into my life. And whatever doesn't come into my life, God didn't bring it into my life. And so therefore God needs to run my life for me. And then they complain about their life and they will say things like, I just don't know why God has never blessed me with money. It can't be anything to do with the fact that I've never actually applied for a job or anything like that, you know. Do you know that when we die, the scriptures tell us that we will give an account to God for the life we have lived while still in the body? Now, our eternal salvation is not based on our works. It is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. By his death and resurrection, we are given the free gift of grace, the free gift of forgiveness, the free gift of eternal life. But we will still have to give an account for our life. It won't determine whether God loves us or not. God loves us anyway. We are his children. Whether we're forgiven or not, we're forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we will give an account. And nobody is going to say to God, God, I want you to give me an account for what you did with my life. God is going to say to you, I want you to give me an account of what you did with your life. Your life was a gift that I gave to you. Now, what did you do with that gift? Did you not even bother unwrapping it? Did you leave it in a closet somewhere? Remember, one of my favorite sayings, I say it a lot, your life is God's gift to you. What you do with your life is your gift back to him again. But if you don't do it, it's like if you gave your kid a gift of a, one of these electronic train sets, where you put the track together and you put the trains on and you plug it in and you get that. If you got your kid one of those things and they were so grateful and so happy, but they never opened the box and did anything with it, the gift was a waste of time. And then if the kid says to you, well, I thought you would set up the train for me and run it around the track, so I didn't need to bother. Well, what's the point of the gift? So our life is God's gift to us, but what we need to do is unpack it, put it together, and let it run down the track of our life. And recently, uh, I heard a story. In fact, I've heard it two or three times. It's probably an old story. Maybe you've all heard it before, but it goes like, it's not a true story. It goes like this. There was once an old man and he was very, very jealous of this young guy that lived next door to him, his neighbor. And he didn't like him at all. Didn't like the music he played, the car he drove, anything about him, didn't like him. And so because of that, this old guy decided to spread lies about his neighbor. And he began to tell everyone in the community that this neighbor was a thief. And whenever somebody had said they, something had been stolen from them or they had lost something, he would say it was probably that neighbor, he's a thief. 
Well, eventually the news spread so far and wide that the police came to this neighbor's house and they took him down to the police station and they questioned him and so on and they got a search warrant and they searched his home and they found out he, he, the guy was not a thief. He had never stolen anything. But because his life had been so disturbed and because his reputation had been so sullied, this young man decided to sue the old guy. So they go to court and the old man says to the judge, I didn't actually do anything wrong. I didn't harm that man. I didn't damage his property. All I did was say words. I mean, it was just words that I said. It didn't hurt anybody. Even though the, the case had been completely, pro, the man had been proven innocent, and even though his life and his reputation had been damaged and sullied, this old man still refused to take personal responsibility for what he had done to the young guy. So the judge said to him, well, I am going to pass judgment tomorrow. I want you to come back to the court tomorrow. But before you do that, I want you to take some sheets of paper. And I want you to write on these sheets of paper, this is just a coincidence, there's two blank sheets of paper lying here. I didn't ask anybody to put them here or anything. Thank you, Lord, for just... <laughs> I want you to take some sheets of paper and I want you to write on them all of the lies that you have told about this young guy. And so he did that. And then he says, I want you to go outside and I want you to rip that paper up into little pieces and I want you to throw it outside. And I want you to come back tomorrow. So he came back to the court tomorrow. And the judge said, right, before I pass sentence in this case, before I make my decision, I want you to go and get all those pieces of paper that you threw out yesterday and gather them and bring them back here again. And the, man, the old guy says, I can't do that. Like the wind has scattered them far and wide. And he said, that was exactly what happened with the words you spoke about this man. They can never be taken back. They can never be gathered back in again. Um, even though he has now been proven innocent, there will always be people who remember your lies and don't remember the, less, the rest and so on. And at that point, the old man breaks down in tears and finally realizes the damage, the irreparable damage that he has done to his neighbor and takes personal responsibility for his own actions. Folks, in life, we need to take personal responsibility for our own actions. Just yesterday, I was reading, last night, I was reading a, a near-death experience of somebody that had died on an operating table and, and had been resuscitated, but in the moments of death, they had this out-of-body experience where they caught a glimpse of heaven and so on, and they, and they saw part of their life on earth. So similar to this story, they said this, I saw things that I had done in my life, but I no longer saw it from my perspective, but from the perspective of the people that it had impacted. I saw that when I, words that I had said it to somebody, and then in my life I had walked away, but now I saw the hurt and the damage it caused to that person and how it had a chain reaction in other people's lives. I suddenly realized that my words, my attitudes, and my actions were not only damaging or blessing my life, but were blessing or damaging other people's lives as well. 
And they said that after this, and they were resuscitated, and they recovered from the operation, they discovered that they had become a much kinder and gentler and compassionate person because they finally took personal responsibility for what they were saying, what they were thinking, what they were feeling, and what they were doing. We need to learn to take personal responsibility for our lives. There's a, a professor in a university in Canada, I think it's in Ontario someplace, and he's become quite famous recently because he gets interviewed a lot in the news and so on. His name is Jordan Peterson. Some people love him, other people aren't so keen on him. But there's one thing that he says very consistently, and I just don't know how anybody could disagree with it, and it's this. He, he's dealing with a lot of students at university age, and also his, his YouTube videos of his lectures are watched by millions of people. Incidentally, he also does lectures on Bible studies. You can watch his Bible studies on YouTube where he brings psychological insights into the characters of Scripture. Very interesting. Anyway, one of the things that he constantly says is this. Young people, and particularly young men, he has said, will ask him often, what can I do with my life to make a difference in the world? There's so many needs in the world and I want to change this world and I want to do something significant with my life. What can I do? And he says this, tidy your room. You can start by tidying my room, but there's a famine in Sudan and there's a genocide in someplace else. And Start by tidying your room. And this is one of the things he constantly says. We have a generation of people who don't know how to look after themselves. They have got a big heart for all of the social injustices in the world, but no one's actually taught them how to clean the room, make their bed, and cook a meal. And until you know how to take personal responsibility for your own life, you will never be able to help somebody else's life. It's kind of like this. Imagine there was a circle drawn around me, right? And that circle is my life. Maybe I'm a student and I've just got one room, just one, like I don't even have a whole house. I've got one room that I can't tidy. I notice all the students are really quiet right now. <laughs> one room that I can't tidy. I, I've got an, uh, I can never set my alarm on my phone. You know, I never remember to set my alarm and I'm always late for my lectures the next day and so on. So This is my responsibility. But away over there in the world, I see a need. Somebody needs to do something about this. It's a complete and total outrage. We need to start a riot or a protest or something here. I can't even get out my bed in time to go to my job at McDonald's and flip burgers and I get fired from that. And I want to change the world. And the whole concept is, once you've learned to take responsibility for your life, for the circle, then the circle can get larger. And then the circle can get larger. And then the circle can get larger. But if you're so full of in, in, indecision, and I don't know what I should do with my life, and I don't know what decisions I should make, and it's and sorry, it's not just the students that are like this. I've met old people that are like this too. You know, I've actually, I actually met somebody once who told me they pray every morning and ask God what clothes they should put on that morning. I'm not sure who's talking to them, but I'm pretty sure God couldn't care less. As long as you've got clothes on, he's happy, okay? 
I don't think, you know, is it the red tie or the blue tie, Lord? The red, which one feels slightly heavier? Oh, there's, there's must be this one today. So many of us want to act in a, child, a, a childish way. Jesus said we need to have childlike faith, but the scriptures also say we shouldn't be childish, but should be mature and wise. There's a really interesting story, uh, parable that Jesus tells, and it shows these two mindsets. And it's found in uh, Luke's gospel. And here's what it says. It says, a man planted a fig tree in his garden. Okay, in whose garden? Wasn't somebody else's garden, was it? It was his. This was something he had personal responsibility for. He plants a a fig tree in his garden, And he came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Let's pretend this microphone is a fig tree. And I come this year, I come to the fig tree and I'm I'm around the garden. Let's have a look at this. No figs. Oh, well, okay, that's fine. Let's look over here. We've got figs in this one and we've got grapes on this vine. And here's an apple tree and it's grown nice in apples. Next year, I come back, no figs. Okay? What was this one again? Figs, grapes, apples, no figs. Figs, grapes, apples, year after year, right? And it says here, finally he said to his gardener. To whose gardener? So the gardener was his too, okay? So this is his employee, right? He says to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig Cut it down, it's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. Now, I could go with a lot of different plays on words here, but you get the idea. If we get figs next year, fine, but if not, you can cut it down. In other words... This tree had just become a dumping ground for a lot of old crap. I mean, that's the bottom line. It wasn't doing anything. The fertilizer wasn't doing anything. And sometimes we've got a lot of things in our life, attitudes, emotions, feelings, thoughts. And all it is, is it's a pile of old fertilizer from our past. And we are using it in our life over and over and over again trying to get fruit out of things in our life that are simply draining our energy, taking up the the nutrients in the soil in this analogy. Do you see how the owner in that story and his employee, the gardener in that story, had two completely different mindsets? There was an owner mindset, and there was a... Put up the next slide, please. An owner mindset, and... uh, The next slide. A slave mentality and an owner mentality. Two completely different mindsets. The guy that owned the grounds, that owned the garden said, this is just taking, this isn't actually bearing fruit. Look, so often in our lives, there are things that maybe at one point in our life, it was good that they were there, but now they are no longer producing any fruit. And yet we stick with it, we stick with it, we stick with it. 
So many, I've met over the years so many people who absolutely detest their job. Their job is actually giving them depression. They're on medication because they don't like their job. They used to like their job 20 years ago, but they haven't enjoyed it for the last 10 years, but they stick at it for some reason. Maybe that thing is actually, maybe it's time to find something more fruitful in your life. And if you want to meet people who have this slave mentality and do not like uprooting unfruitful trees, the best place you will find them in is churches. I was once speaking to a pastor of a church and they told me that on their platform, in one side of the platform, they had one of these Hammond organs. Remember Hammond organs, the electric organs? And in I've thought of gotten, getting one here because I like, I like it when you see those churches. You know those churches where when the preacher says something good, the organ goes? You know that? I said fire! I said fire! Holy Ghost fire! You know, you know that stuff? <laughs> so they had one of those old organs. They hadn't played it in more than 10 years. Because the musical style had changed over the decade. They hadn't played it for more than 10 years. And now they had a keyboard and different things up there and they hadn't played that old organ. So they decided to just remove it, to move it or sell it or something like that. Well, there was a little faction in the church who practically started a revolution over the Hammond organ. You can't, you can't uproot that fig tree but it hasn't produced any fruit for three years. You can't uproot that Hammond organ. Nobody has played it for 10 years. Ah, but I remember in 1984 when Sister Brown bought that organ for the church. Sister Brown has been in her grave for 18 years. She doesn't care anymore about the organ, you know? But it's like, well, maybe we should fertilize it. Maybe we should use it. Maybe we should bring it out and start using it again. Fire. <laughs> maybe we should try. Maybe we should go back to that. Do you know? It's like you change. Don't change something even if it has no longer served its purpose for years. And I'm not just talking about fig trees and organs and jobs. I'm talking about attitudes and thoughts and belief systems and emotions and the way we treat people and all of that kind of stuff. Sometimes we have got a whole lot of trees growing in our garden and that are not producing any fruit in our life. All they're producing is dry, dead wood. And we need to take personal response and say, is my life going the way it should go or is it going some other way? You see, the, the gardener had a slave mentality he had a slave mentality. He wasn't thinking like an owner. The owner had, the owner's mentality was personal responsibility. He looked at what he owned, what he had authority over in his life. You need to apply this in whatever way. Maybe it's your home. You have responsibility over that. Maybe you've got children. You've got responsibility to, now, now don't uproot them and throw them out, you know. 
make sure they flourish and grow through. Um, you've got maybe you run a business, maybe you, you're in charge of a department in your place of work, whatever it may be, there are things in your life that are your garden. And you want to make sure that everything in your garden is growing and bearing fruit. Your friendships are blossoming. Your faith in Christ is blossoming. Your career is blossoming. Your ability to manage money is blossoming. That you are beginning to bear fruit in each and every area of your life. And as you do some personal reflection, as you walk around your garden, you will come across things in your life, things in your garden that are dead and dry and doing nothing, and you think, why have I left that there? For so long. I need to remove that attitude. I need to forgive that person I've had a, a, a grudge against for 10 years. My goodness, I need to uproot that tree in my life and get rid of it so that I can feel freer and so that I can become more fruitful. Personal responsibility, but the gardener had the slave mentality. He, he couldn't make a decision about things because he was not in charge of them. And he's saying, oh, I'll just leave it here. It's, you get the impression in the parable that it's like the gardener has become attached to the tree. Oh, just leave the poor little tree. I was once speaking to somebody who uh, was asking me why I was a Christian and, and they, had a, they didn't like Christians and they didn't like church and they had a problem with Christianity. And I said to them, what was your problem, Christian? Jesus cursed a fig tree, they said. Jesus said to that fig tree, may no one ever eat figs from you again, and the fig tree died. I mean, like, that was really pretty cruel to the fig tree, the guy said. Okay, the Son of God cursed the fig tree. Human beings crucified the Son of God. I, I, like, the way you're balancing this out is not working very well here. It's like people will take the offense. They will become attached to things. And this guy's attached to this fig tree just leave the fig tree. I'm attached to it. It's become part of my life. I don't want to uproot it. I mean, who knows? It might grow half a fig next year, you know? We should just keep, I should, in fact, I will neglect all the trees that are bearing fruit and I will put all my work into this. This is something, a mentality that we have a lot. You know, if we're good at three things and bad at one thing, we think that we should concentrate. We learn this at school. Ever been to a parent teacher's night? And they tell you, your kid is great with science and math and social studies and language studies, but they're not good at history. So we think that they should double up on their history homework. We think you should neglect the thing that you're good at and put all your effort into the, the tree that is never going to grow a stupid fig in the first place. That would be like the coach of a soccer team saying, you're a great striker, you score all the goals, you're a great striker, but you're not a very good goalkeeper, so we're going to make you the goalkeeper from now on. Duh. You know, I'm not good at that, uproot that from my game plan and put me in the thing that I bear fruit in. But this gardener had this slave mentality, and there's two ways a slave mentality can go. Sometimes when we have this slave mentality, we are dependent. Oh, we need somebody else to make our decisions for us. We need somebody else to look after us. We are dependent on them. We need, you know, why doesn't the government do something about my life? <laughs> why doesn't 
God do something about my life? Why doesn't somebody else do something about my life? That's like your, your car runs out of gas and, you, and it's in your garage and you're just sitting there and somebody says, why don't you go out for a journey someplace? Nobody's put gas in my car. Why hasn't, why hasn't anybody done it? I even laid hands on it and prayed and asked God to do it and nothing happened. Because you're supposed to put the thing in and press the button, you know. But I thought that God was in charge. No, God's not in charge of your life. The Bible doesn't say that you're in charge of your life and the Bible doesn't say that God's in charge of your life. The Bible says we are co-laborers, co-workers together with God. You and God are a partnership. God gives you the gift of life. God gives you certain gifts and talents and abilities and a personality. And he places you in a particular environment that you're born into. And he brings opportunities into your life all the time. That's his part. Your part is to take everything that God has given you and take advantage of the opportunities that he brings your way and build a better life. Oh, but maybe it's not God. Maybe it's not the God. It's the devil. Why is the devil attacking my... It's the big bad wolf keeps blowing my house down. It can't be anything to do with the fact I constantly build my house with straw, could it? And look at that person over there with a brick house. That's okay for them. They've got brick privilege. That's what they've got. If I had brick privilege, I could have a brick house too. You know, and we always look for an, no, stop building our house with straw and build it with brick. Stop building our house on the sand and build it on the foundation of a rock. Stop waiting for somebody else to fix our problems and use the gifts and the talents and the brain that God has given us and yes, pray and have faith and partner with God and then together with God, be a co-laborer, a co-worker and build something beautiful out of your life. And if there's something there that is is just destroying your life, then uproot it, take it out the road, and let all the nutrients in your life support the things that are life-giving. Oh, the owner mentality, slave mentality. The Israelites had this. When the Israelites were going through the wilderness... Remember the Israelites were in Egypt first of all and then they passed through the wilderness for 40 years and then they arrived at the promised land. Look at these three stages. In Egypt, they were slaves. They were actually literally slaves. They didn't need to make any decisions about their life. They were told when they were getting up in the morning, when they were going to work and when they could come home from work and when they were going to bed. They were told that. They were slaves. They also didn't even have to think about where their food, they didn't have to go to Sobeys. They didn't, their food was provided for them because they were slaves. They were wards of the state. And then the exodus happens and they're set free from Egypt and they're wandering through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God is providing manna for them. And now they're no longer dependent on the state, but they're dependent on God because there's no way for them to grow crops and food and all that as they're traveling through the wilderness and they're dependent upon God. And there's many people who think the pinnacle of faith is when you don't do anything and you're just dependent on God, blessing you, blessing you, blessing you all the time. But that was not the end result. The end result was the promised land. And in the promised land, God had provided them with a fertile land. But he told them, you're going to have to plow the fields. You're going to have to plant the seeds. 
you're going to have to harvest the crops, you're going to have to winnow it, you're going to have to grind it, you're going to have to bake the bread, I am providing a certain amount for you and then you need to take responsibility of that and do the rest. Some of them didn't want to do that. They're in the wilderness, God is providing food for them, they see the promised land and they think, oh, hold on a minute, you mean we're going to have to work when we get there? You mean I'm actually going to have to take response? I'm going to be given a plot of land, but I'm going to have to take responsibility for it and actually farm it? Yes, I want to go back to Egypt. Look at what they said. Put the next, put the next slide up. I think it's Exodus or something. It says this, Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they said. We, they exclaimed, we remember the fish we used to eat for free. We remember our government subsidy. Look. In Egypt. And we had all cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. I mean, like, we were stinking of garlic and onions and leeks. But everybody smelt like that, so it was great. And all we ever see, now, we, now we've got no appetites, all we ever see is this manna. And it was like little coriander seeds, and we've got to collect it and grind it all up and all that stuff. This is ridiculous. I want to go back to being a slave and getting my free handouts and not having to think for myself or make any decisions for my life. That was where they were at. But God eventually takes them into the promised land where they harvest it, where they flourish it, uh, you know, there's a, I was once in Israel many years ago, and I was on this bus tour, and the guy, the Israeli man that was on the microphone, we went past this field filled with tulips, beautiful tulips, and he said, Israel now grows more tulips than Holland does. If you've ever flown into Amsterdam Airport, as you're flying in, you, you see all the tulip fields, all different colors. Sometimes they actually grow them in the shape of a flag or something like that, and you see like a flag with its different colors and so on. It's beautiful and amazing. But he says, Israel now grows more tulips than Holland. And then he said, this area was once all a desert. And he said, this is the area that is actually spoken about. There's a verse in the book of Isaiah where the prophet Isaiah says that this wilderness will bloom and burst into flowers and produce flowers. And he says, there it is, it's happened. And then he said this, but God didn't do it all by himself. The Israeli scientists created an irrigation system that they fitted into the desert and that fulfilled that prophecy. And there it is. The desert is now blossoming like a rose. The potential was always there. And God spoke that through Isaiah saying that desert can blossom like a rose. But it took humans to use their brains and to do something about it again. You know, one last verse, and then we're going to pray, and it's, it's, um, it shows us what the scriptures say about our Christian faith. It says this, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, though they actually own everything their father had. Sometimes as Christians, we don't realize the Bible says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. 
And the father, in the parable of the prodigal son, the father who represents God, and we represent his children, says, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is already yours. But if we are still immature like children, you're no better than slaves, even though you own everything because you need caretakers to look after you. It says, even though they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father has set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy, what's the next word? Shout it again. Does God intend you to live like a slave? Does he intend you to live like a free person? Freedom for us who were, past tense, slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. We've got a daddy in heaven that loves us, that adopted us, that took us in when we had nothing and has given us a seat at the table and has said, you are part of my family. Now stop hiding in the basement like the slave and become one of my children like I always intended you to be. I've given you everything. Now will you take it and take responsibility of it and use it? It's kind of like, imagine we're playing a game of poker. I don't, I've never played poker. I don't know the rules. I don't want to play either, so don't invite me to the casino or something. I don't want an email, but I'm just using it as an illustration. So there's, we're sitting at a table. There's four of us sitting playing poker. And I've been dealt a hand. To take personal responsibility means I look at this hand and I work out what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses, and then I play the game such that I am playing to my strengths, and I'm trying to get rid of the cards that are my weaknesses, so that I can play to my strengths. We've all been given a life that contains good things and bad things. We all have strengths and weaknesses. Your job is not to say, I want another hand. I want his hand. He's got a better hand than I have. I want his cards. I'm not playing anymore. You can't get his hand. God has dealt to each of us gifts and talents and abilities, and we've got some weaknesses and things in there too, because we're not supposed to be dependent on people. Neither are we supposed to be codependent where other people are dependent on us and we need to be needed. That's another way we can be a slave and need to be needed all the time. We're not supposed to be dependent or codependent. We're not even supposed to be independent. We're supposed to be interdependent. I am supposed to take personal responsibility for my life. And then once I've done that, I can help you. You're supposed to take personal responsibility of your life, and then once you've done that, you can help me. Because there's some areas that are my weaknesses, but they're your strengths. And there's some areas that are your strengths, but are my, we uh, the other way around. And I can help you in the areas that you're weak, and you can help me in the areas that I'm weak, but neither of us can help each other if our own life is a pile of fertilizer, okay? <laughs> if we can clean up our life, clean up our garden, and begin to bear fruit, fill up our tank till we overflow, 
then we are able to help other people. I want to pray for us today. I want us all to pray that this week we begin to take responsibility for our life. We begin to take the steering wheel of our car and direct it down the road that we should be traveling instead of just crashing into the shoulder and sitting there and waiting for God to send the heavenly AMA to come and rescue us. Let's learn to change your own tire. Learn to take responsibility for your own life. Learn to tidy your own room. Learn to develop your own faith. Learn to have your own relationship with God. Learn to, to think for yourself. Learn to build a career. Learn to take personal responsibility for your life so that when you stand before God, you can present back to him the completed railway track you can complete the life that he has given to you as a boxed gift. Let's stand together. We're going to say this prayer together, this affirmation of faith, and uh, we're going to do this to set the tone for the rest of the week. Are we all ready? Let's say together, right here, right now, I declare that with God's help, I will take personal responsibility for my life. My thoughts, my words, and my actions. I refuse to play the blame game. I refuse to live like a slave. I am a child of God. And I will live life to the full. I will make wise decisions. I will live a fruitful life. I believe it and I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.